You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So we just finished a 10-week sermon series on the book of James that was all about how to live a life of faith. And over and over again during that sermon series, we saw that true faith produces a changed perspective of the world and a new course of action as we walk through it. Hopefully, at some point during that sermon series, if you were here for that series, you identified some way that you could live with a greater faith and you felt called to live into that greater faith. Maybe it was Um, an invitation to a deeper trust in God that allows you to reject the narrative of fear that is so prevalent in our world and instead to walk in trust and faith of Him. Maybe it was realizing that security does not come through money, and so there was a call to greater generosity. Or maybe it was a reminder that in faith we use our tongues for blessing and not for cursing even for those whom we may consider to be our enemies. There could have been many things, ways that you felt moved to live into a life of greater faith. Or perhaps your resolution was something altogether different, or you didn't have a resolution. Maybe you weren't even here for that. But I think all of us, at some point or another, have probably experienced a sermon or read a book or or encountered a passage of Scripture that moved us where we desired to actually live a life of greater holiness, desired to live with greater faith. But sadly, oftentimes, those moments of inspiration fade. We walk away feeling energized after a Sunday morning or after completing a book, and then we experience sort of a diminishment of that resolve, a diminishment of our desire to live a life of faith and holiness. Pursuing spiritual fitness can be a lot like the resolutions that so many make at the beginning of a year for their physical fitness, where the, uh, the gyms are packed in January and empty in February, and we fade away and, and walk away from our intent that we have set. And when this happens, when we perhaps fail to live up to individual moments of resolve, it can actually take a toll on our faith when we have resolved to live with greater holiness, resolved to live with greater faith, faith, and then we fall short, it can actually leave us feeling discouraged and maybe even a sense of despair. We ask ourselves questions like, is it really worth it? Am I cut out for a life of faith? Why is this so hard if God is here with me and helping me? There was a Cayman's Call song when I was in college that I used to, to listen to and lament at times. Um, the, the lyrics of the song said something like, Sometimes I fear maybe I'm not chosen, and that's why life is so hard for me. Those moments where I tried to live up to an ideal and a standard of holiness and faith and fell short, they hurt and cut so deeply. But the author of Hebrews is here to remind us that despite our discouragement, despite our doubts, despite those moments where we are tempted to to walk away and perhaps give it up even, a life of faith must be lived to the end. 
faith is not a one-time event. It's not something you can check off your, your list of life of, yes, I've had faith, there, that's done. To begin to follow Christ and to give up is not really any better than to start a race and to fail to finish. When we stand before God for judgment in the last day, it is our faith in that day, or lack thereof, that will determine whether His hand, as He gathers us up, is a hand of mercy or a hand of judgment. The first verse in our reading from Hebrews today was from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. And it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. This verse stands in contrast to some of the other places in Scripture that talks about falling into the hand of God. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 14, it says, Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercy is great. The difference seems to be whether or not we are approaching that hand with faith. The passage in Hebrews comes right after the the author has given this hypothetical situation where people have walked away, where essentially they've given up. They've started the course and then they've turned away. And he says, if you do that, then when you come into the hand of God, you will not find in there a hand of mercy, but a hand of judgment instead. You must live that life of faith all the way to the end. I think one of the places where this is actually most clear, um, clearly presented, is actually in one of the apocryphal books, the the book of Sirach. Now, the apocryphal books are are not books that we use for understanding doctrine in the church, but they're still oftentimes beneficial and good to read. It's kind of like reading C.S. Lewis or N.T. Wright. We don't allow them to establish the truth of Scripture, but we still understand that reading good authors can help us to understand what God has for us. And I think that this book, uh, this passage in Hebrews, and, and actually a significant portion of this book, the author seemed to be familiar with the book of Sirach and was writing in a way that actually aligns really closely with some of the things that are in, in this book. So listen to these verses um, from, from that book. You who fear the Lord, wait for his mercy. Do not stray, or else you may fall. You who fear the Lord, trust in him, and your reward will not be lost. Woe to timid hearts and to slack hands, and to the sinner who walks a double path. Woe to the faint-hearted who have no trust. Therefore, they will have no shelter. Woe to you who have lost your nerve. What will you do when the Lord's reckoning comes? Those who fear the Lord do not disobey his words, and those who love him keep his ways. Those who fear the Lord seek to please him, and those who love him are filled with his law. Those who fear the Lord prepare their hearts and humble themselves before him. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, but not into the hands of mortals. For equal to his majesty is his mercy. It is this call to persevere, while at the same time this reminder that if we are walking in the ways of the Lord, then his hand is a hand of mercy. But it's also a reminder that the life of faith must be lived to the end, because it is by faith that we can endure the judgment of God. Many of us don't like to talk about judgment. 
Perhaps we have had experience with those who use talk of judgment in a manipulative way. Whereas they talk about the judgment of God, it seems that he always seems to have the same position that they do. And that God is going to judge the exact people that they dislike and not perhaps the sins that they happen to carry. God shows mercy towards those. But the Bible makes it clear that we will all face judgment. We will all stand before God and have a reckoning for our lives. And to avoid the topic because it makes us uncomfortable or we're not sure how to talk about it is actually cowardly and ultimately deceitful. If we don't talk about judgment, then we are missing out on part of why the Bible tells us that faith is so very important. We hope, of course, that it is God's love that ultimately draws people to Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of it. But the reality of judgment reminds us that our faith must persist until the end. And if it does, we can actually expect, instead of judgment, a great reward. Verse 35 in our passage says, Do not, therefore, abandon that confidence of yours, for it brings a great reward. Sometimes we can be equally uncomfortable talking about rewards because, again, we feel like somehow intrinsic motivation is better. If I do something for a reward, uh, for something that's held out to me, it's less valuable than if I have done it because I just enjoy the thing itself. If I follow after God because I'm looking for a reward, it is perhaps less valuable than if I follow after Him for His own sake. But that's really only true if the reward is substantially different than the thing that we're doing. So we think of this in like a a mercenary context of somebody sort of doing a task because they're trying to get money, and it's really the money that they love. But the reward that we have held out for us in scriptures is God himself. It is the mercy of God. It is the love of God. It is eternal relationship with him. It is eternal rest with God. It is a life with God forever and ever. And all of us, if we're going to undertake a hard and difficult task that we know will have many roadblocks, need to know what the end result will be for us to work towards it. We need to have some hope of what will be, what will come from it. Jesus told people this themselves. They said, count the cost. Count the cost. And the author of Hebrews, later on in chapter 12, says that Jesus himself endured the cross for the sake of the joy that was set before him. He knew the reward, and that was what allowed him to endure even unto death. If we're going to stick with the hard task of of walking in faith, we need to understand both that there is judgment for those who fall away, that there is great reward for those who are faithful. We must know the why we are to live this life of faith. Why is it so important? But knowing the why is not enough in itself. We also must know something about how we are to remain faithful. If this is so important, how are we to walk in this this path? How are we to, to endure through these trials? And this passage from Hebrews offers some help in that regard. So much of the Bible... Uh, Like so much of the Bible, the charge to be faithful, the charge to endure, is linked with our memory. We are called to remember. 
But in this passage in Hebrews, it's interesting. We're not called to remember the good times with God. We're not called to remember the times where things were easy and the blessings that God poured out upon us um, in those of, of wealth and well-being. We're not called to remember even the mighty acts of God, the things that he has done in his salvation history, which happens so very often in scriptures. Instead, what we are called to remember is our suffering. Listen again to verses 32 through 34. But recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. This is not perhaps what we would expect. If I went to a marriage counselor because I was struggling to endure, and they said, remember all the times that things were really hard? Remember how hard it is to be married? I, I might be taken a little bit by surprise. But the point is not just that it's hard. Not all suffering is beneficial. The point is that it is difficult that there was suffering, and yet they found joy in the midst of it. Suffering can lead to bitterness. It can lead to a way of, of sort of rejecting the life that God has, or it can deepen and richen that life because we realize that what God has for us is beyond the circumstances that we face. What God has for us is not just a simple life of ease, but something that is better. What God has for us is, reminds me of the title of a book I heard about parenting a long time ago that was, No Fun But All Joy. <laughs> and when we look back at those moments where we have found joy in the midst of suffering, when we see the deeper relationship that we have with God, those are the moments that actually bind us together. And that can be true of relationships too, right? The times where you endured together through a time that was hard, but the love that you had for one another made it sweet. And maybe even it didn't feel so, much the, the, so difficult as you thought it would. There was a Christmas that I had, um, actually when I was in college, I believe, um, where we were coming up to a Christmas and my dad had just lost his job. And so my parents had to tell us, like, basically they had no money to buy Christmas presents that year. Um, and there was, but it was one of the most joyful Christmases that I can remember with my family for two reasons. One is because I had just gotten a co-op position. And so for the first time in my life, I had money from working. Uh, I was working full time, taking a semester off of school to work. Um, and I had money. And so I was able to buy presents for my brother and sister. Um, and I was able to make sure that they had some of the things that they wanted on their wish list in a way that I'd never gotten to take that role before. But the other thing that, that um, endured or that has remained with me in memory for that time is that my dad, my parents didn't have money, so my dad just got like a, a plank of cedar. And using the tools in his shop, he cut it up um, into little, little pieces and he built boxes for me and my brother and my sister. Um, they were nice little handcraft wooden boxes. Each one was unique to us. My, mine had 
like he'd carved like a dolphin to put on the front that was really attractive. My brother's, um, he had a secret compartment in it so that if you like spun one of the legs, it would pull out a drawer on the bottom that you could hide something in. So each one was a little bit different and unique to us. And honestly, for most of the years of my growing up, my parents sometimes gave extravagant presents on Christmas and I can, cannot remember most of them. But I remember the gift of that box, that time when we had very little together when there was perhaps looking at an uh, opportunity to say, oh, woe is us, how sorrowful that we don't have what we want. We don't get all the stuff this year. But instead, that's the memory that endures to me about sharing gifts with my family, the one that was special. And in the same way, those times where we have less, where we feel like we are lacking, and instead we find that God provides abundantly for us in the midst of those trials, those are the times that we can look back and have our faith in Him cemented, understanding that the joy that we have in Him is greater than everything that the world has to offer, that we are, would willingly give up everything for this enduring joy. And it's so important that we're able to look back and see our suffering through that lens because, honestly, suffering comes pretty often in our lives. If we're looking just to the good times as a, as a way to help us get through the difficulties, then we might always be looking for what God's going to give around the corner instead of being able to be present with what He's giving right now. There's often times where we will use the phrase of, this too shall pass, as a way to kind of help us get through and, and tolerate a period of suffering. But the truth is, is that it doesn't always pass. Sometimes the suffering lasts. Sometimes the suffering goes all the way up until death, whether it's from chronic illness that doesn't go away, whether it's martyrdom, whether it is just one pain after another that comes. And if we're just looking for things to get better just around the corner in this life, we may constantly be disappointed and feel that God has abandoned us and has left us. But when we recognize and see in those moments of suffering the rich provision of God, it will strengthen our faith and it will allow us to endure to the end, to live the life of faith all the way to the end so that we can experience the mercy of God. This doesn't mean, of course, that we seek out suffering, that we're supposed to somehow put ourselves in these moments of, of these crucibles where, where everything is more difficult for us. My experience of life and those of most who I know is you don't really have to seek out suffering. It'll find you. But at the same time, we don't need to run from it either. We don't need to hide from it or act as if we have to be fearful of suffering that may come. And this is important for our own lives because there are times where we have to choose a path that will lead to suffering, not because we're seeking after suffering, but because choosing suffering instead of sin is always a better choice. And sometimes the faithful path is one that will be rocky and hard, but that is the path that we can choose, but we need not fear the suffering that will come. It's also important because there will always be people around us who are suffering in any given moment. And if we are afraid of suffering, oftentimes what we'll do is kind of draw back and stay away from them as they are hurting. Try to hold back in our pain because we just don't know how to be present with them. Or we'll take the stance of we're always going to try to fix it. We're going to try to make things better. And sometimes we have that gift. If somebody needs some money, we can give to them generously. 
If somebody needs food, we can provide. But sometimes there is suffering that endures that we cannot lift on our own. And even though we can't fix it, we are called to be present with them. In fact, this is one of the great uh, calls of the Christian life. The call of faith that we have is one to identify with those who are suffering and to take their suffering upon us as well, to walk with them in their suffering instead of running away and hiding from them. This is part of what it means to live a life of faith all the way to the end. And looking to the joy that we have in God, even in the midst of suffering, is what will produce in us endurance. Because that is what the author of Hebrews has in mind throughout this whole passage, that we will endure. Verse 36 makes that absolutely clear. For you need endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. We are living that life of faith so that we can one day come into God's presence and hear those marvelous words of, well done, my good and faithful servant. We desire to get the reward at the end. The opposite is actually presented to us in verses 37 and 38. Um, Quoting some, some scripture, he says, For yet in a very little while the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. If we abandon our faith, if we give up the the call to a life of faith that God has given us, God takes no pleasure in us. That's not what we want. We want to please the Master. Now all of this is weighty. All of this is is honestly sometimes hard to stand under because we know how often we falter. Perhaps we have a desire to live this kind of life of faith that turns to God and puts our trust in Him even in the midst of suffering. But we see all of the times that we fall short and turn away. That's why I think the author of Hebrews ends with a final word of encouragement in this passage. He says, But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and so are saved. And as he moves on through the book of Hebrews and and gives encouragement about those who are holding and clinging to the faith, where he brings us to particularly in chapter 12, is to the example of Jesus. It says, beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. And as he says this, there's two ways in which I think we're supposed to take this at the same time. One is, yes, to look to Jesus as an example of someone who put faith in God, someone who endured to the end, someone who sought joy despite suffering. We are called to live a life that is like His, 
hold, clinging on to faith. But if that was the only element in this, I think that it would again cause despair because, of course, we can't live up to that standard. We can grow in holiness and we can grow in faith, but we cannot live the perfect life that Jesus did. But Jesus is not just the pioneer of faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. When we consider him who endured such hostility so that we may not grow weary or lose heart, it's not just because we are supposed to be like him. It's because we understand that we have hope because he endured to the end. That it's ultimately in the faithfulness of Christ that we place our hope. We will stumble and fall, but he did not. We look to him as our righteousness. It is he who covers our sin. It is he who allows us to walk the life of faith with some hope of making it to the end because he himself was faithful to the end. He endured. And in him we can find the righteousness and the joy of God given to us through his promises. And so we turn to the cross, not just as an example of what God is calling us to, but as the place where we find our true hope. Because God himself endured suffering and persevered to the end so that we might be saved. He is faithful so that you may too be faithful to the end. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.